0: Well, hi folks, this is Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, January the 5th, 2022, and we are up to episode... 3009, 3009 episodes of the Survival Podcast. And we have schedule change today, if you didn't catch it in the uh, announcements or anything. Uh, We're supposed to have Kat from Anarchapulco on today. We're going to have her on next week. She had a um, a child illness thing come up with both her kids, and it caused a disruption to her plans. Uh, So we'll be talking about Anarchapulco next week. Uh, I reached out to our guest from next week and asked if she could come on today, and she said, yes, this is uh, Errol McLaughlin. If you think the name sounds familiar, you may know uh, her better by the term Feet North, Feenith, I, I can't even say it right. Uh, but it is, uh, it means my nest. And I've had Ariel on before. Uh, she lives in a tiny home at about 6,000 feet of elevation in Wyoming. And when I had her on back in 2019, we discussed living in a tiny home and how she does all the things that she does to live there, how she acquired a place to put her tiny home, how they built a tiny home, what life is like, uh, the, the, the work. Uh, agreement that she has with the landowner it was a really cool interview and many of you guys follow her on youtube and me we etc well uh she had already reached out and we had her booked for next week we just just flip-flopped the two guests we're gonna be talking about something that we've mentioned in passing we've talked about here and there over the years but we've never like dug into and it is the concept of uh, composting toilets And if you think about this, this is actually a really important subject because many of us, even if we're going to have a primary residence where this is a non-issue, because honestly, if you have a septic system like I do or you have city sewer, it's probably not something you worry about that much, though it still might be a really great backup or just a great way to produce uh, excellent compost. I know it sounds a little icky to some people and all, but it really is a better uh Environmental use of human waste than sending it down a pipe to somewhere to be processed in a giant filth stream, um, which which is just not good for the environment. But most of us we're gonna we're gonna go with the path of least the path of least resistance. But if you're gonna build off grid, it's gonna be an issue, and you're gonna have to figure out what you're gonna do with it. And it can save a ton of money over not only the initial cost of putting in a septic system, because many most places that will be an option. The servicing of a septic system over time. I've put, you know, in the last nine years here at this property, I've put a significant amount of money into up, you know, maintaining my septic. Uh, where a composting to- toilet, it's really not a high cost of maintenance, that's for sure. And there's a bunch of different options. We're going to talk about all of them. The other option I want, or the other thing I want you to think about with this is many of us are looking to build bug out locations. And you know me, I'm not big on unitasking with anything, including bug out locations. So I think if you're only getting a remote property so that you can run away if the zombies march and the UN blue helmets come and, and all of that jazz and dogs and pat, cats are raining from the sky and having puppy kittens, and, and unless, if that's the only reason you're having a bug out location, I don't think it makes sense. But owning second properties, having an off-grid place to get away and fish and hunt and just recreate and things like that, and that also serving as a bug out location, that's really smart. Also being part of your investment portfolio. Well, a lot of us on those situations, we're going to build huge site-built homes. We're going to build small cabins and things like that. And this is one of the things you have to figure out when you're taking that approach. What do we do when we got to go? You got to do something with it. You can't just keep it around in a bucket somewhere. That's probably not the smartest idea, though. There's actually a way to compost that way, but there's better ways to do it. That's what Ariel's going to be on to talk with us about today. In just a moment, before we get her on, let's go ahead and uh, hear from our sponsors today. Sponsor today number one is KnifeKits.com. KnifeKits has been around and supporting TSP for almost as long as TSP has been around. I brought my first sponsors on in 2009. SafeCastle was the first company to sponsor the show, and they're still here. Um, but Kits came on, I think, within about two or three months of me starting to take sponsors. And so that means they've been with us since 2009, and it's 2022. Great sponsor, great product, does a discount for the MSP. It's not huge, but they're on thin margins. So they do what they can. They have. Ne- I have never had a complaint. Think about this. I've been working with Knife Kits since 2009, 2009, and I have not yet had a complaint. That's kind of insane when you think about it. I have never, I I really never even thought about it. I've never had one. Most sponsors I've had, at least, you know, somebody reach out and go, hey, you know, like, well, did you contact them, you know, and then the customer service takes care of it or something, but like zero. Um, And it is just a great thing you can get into as a hobby, as a side hustle, a full-time business, making knives and other cool stuff, check them out at KnifeKits.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. Here's an idea. The next time you're thinking about taking a vacation, why not take a vacation, go meet some cool people at the same time that can hook you up with things that the general tourist doesn't have, but do it in a state that's great to take vacations in, like New Hampshire. You know, like one of my favorite places in the world is the White Mountains of New Hampshire, just an amazing place. A little town called North Conway. It's awesome. I'll tell you, years ago when I got out of the army and I hiked from Pennsylvania to New Hampshire on the Appalachian Trail doing a section hike, I, I stayed in North Conway, New Hampshire for about a week until my ride came to bring me back home. Because I walked up, I wasn't walking back. And in that time I almost moved there. It's it's a pretty amazing place. And then, you know, you can determine whether or not relocating to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project is right for you. If it isn't, you just had a really great vacation and met some cool people that are good to have in your network. And you can learn all about that by going to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. With that, let's get Ariel on. And, again, Ariel was on. Back in 2019 I'll try to make sure I add a link to uh, today's episode if you want to go hear that episode where we go into more of the general aspects of tiny tiny house living and what you're about to hear from this point forward will be part of a live stream. Remember if you want to be uh, involved with one of our live streams, the best way to make sure you get notified that you're gonna uh, that we're gonna have one is get on the telegram channel. Right, You can find that on every episode of the show at the survivalpodcast.com Down in the resource links, you'll find our Telegram channel. Install Telegram if you don't have it already. Get on our channel, and you'll just get our announcements. You won't be part of the giant discussion if you don't want to do that. Just my announcements out. And then I do, I do actually now broadcast to, even though I hate the platforms, I broadcast to Twitter and Facebook, uh, and I broadcast to YouTube. And YouTube's the one where you can get a reminder so you can set that reminder. Also, I am live streaming out on Odyssey and Float, and I'm looking at adding some other platforms. I just contacted somebody yesterday that I was recommended to get in touch with that does live streaming, and I'm like, if I can, if I can stream with RMTP, I'll do it. So I'm continuing to add. I've upgraded my StreamYard account so I can go to eight destinations now. And I'm trying to fill them all out, so I get my money's worth. So lots of live stream options out there, not just ScrewTube, uh, but Twitter and and, and FaceScrew, right? Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get Ariel on the show. And we are live. So with that, hey, Ariel, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. I think I had you on back about mid-2019, and we just talked about tiny house living in general that time.
1: Yeah, good to be here again.
0: And uh, I also wanted to thank you for uh, for helping me out today You were supposed to be on next week and we got in touch with you because we had a, a guest to have a conflict and, and thanks for being with us today and being flexible that way I really appreciate it
1: oh well, you're welcome. Dorothy caught me as it was coming in the door with the snow blowing in circles I was getting three <laughs> phone calls at the same time and I didn't recognize the number and you were not on my mind at the moment and she said, I hey, bet
0: not why will not I be?"
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, not not that, I'm not that I'm memorable. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not, not that. I was just thinking about blizzards and firewood and and dumping ice water yeah. for birds at the moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, because let's real quick before we dig in, this show people uh, what your abodes like. I've got your blog here, uh, and just by the way, folks, Errol's an amazing photographer, so uh, you can just see some of the the, the imagery of her tiny home in Wyoming. It is Wyoming, correct? Yes, sir. And, uh, four season photography here. You can see the leaves just starting to turn there and she's in the middle of the snow now. Cause it's January. And yeah. we were, we were, we were discussing our, our opposing views on what cold constitutes. I'm sitting here in a hoodie cause it's 45 <laughs> degrees outside and, uh, Ariel's sitting there and it's probably zero out or something. And she's all comfy, but she's also next to a wood stove. Right. So, um, yeah. We're going to dig into uh, composting toilets today, which I think is a great topic. I'm glad you reached out on it. You're right. We've talked about it on the air, you know, here and there, bits and parts. Uh, we've had some maybe some segments on it, but we've never dug into the topic as a whole. I think it's important. But before we do that, kind of, you know, we were just looking at there. Tell people a little bit about you, where you live and how you ended up, you know, living the tiny house life.
1: Okay, so I've been in this little house that I'm sitting in right now, which is a tiny house on wheels, and those photos you couldn't really tell because of all the flower planters around it, but it is on wheels, we can hitch it to any truck, go on down the road at any time, and... Um, I ended up in here because in the corner of Wyoming where I live, housing is fairly limited, largely due to there's so much federally owned ground. Uh, the county I was living in at the time, only about two and a half percent of all the ground is privately owned. So there's a, a general housing shortage. It's super expensive. I'd lost the last rental roommate I'd been living in due to the owner selling it, and I was basically not able to find anything I could afford to live in. So I was trying to figure out what to do and was kind of settled on living in a van. Um, I've backpacked and stuff for years. I'm pretty comfortable living in small-ish spaces. And uh, in the process of looking at that, I ran into the idea of a tiny house on wheels, which is something I hadn't actually heard of before eight years ago. If you said tiny house, most people are like, what? Um, and I looked at that and was pretty quickly like, oh, in my climate where you can't really see out the windows, you can see they're bright white. That's because we have a whiteout blizzard going on right now. It's cold for much of the year here. There's snow on the ground, usually eight months a year. And I thought a house actually built like this is built just like a you know stick built custom home construction. That sounds easier to live in four seasons year round in my climate than a van conversion. So that's how I ended up in a tiny house. Um, the photos you were just seeing there that. I was parked in a little clearing on part of a bigger ranch for about seven and a half years. The first seven and a half years I lived in here. And I traded some work to the landowners in exchange for being able to park in the corner of their woods that they weren't using. So that worked out well for both of us. And then this past spring, I actually got married and my husband, and I bought a little property tucked into a different mountain valley in Wyoming. And so now, um, we're still working at getting some things like the planters around the house, but we have pretty spectacular mountain views, and we're working on setting up our own little homestead. So space. you looked
0: up the house and you moved. I, I didn't, I didn't catch that when it happened. I know how I missed it because I see you on like Me We and floating and all that all the time. I didn't realize you had done that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so that's one of the nice things about having a house on wheels. You buy a little chunk of ground that's that was bare land when we moved here, and you just roll your house in, and day one you can live in something comfortable. Um, we do hope to maybe down the road build a small house attached to the ground. But for now, this is what we have. And so that's what I'm speaking to you from.
0: That's very, very cool. So um, I believe when you were on the other property, you did have grid power for some things. Do you have that now, or are you fully off-grid with this new property?
1: No. So actually, I was fully um, off-grid. People get in debates about who's actually off-grid. I had no physical connection to any public utilities in the last place. I was about a a half mile from being able to have grid-tied power, um, which is how I ended up deciding to go off-grid because it was otherwise a very cool parking spot. And, uh, permitting even to do the power would have been probably an impossible nightmare, but also aside from that, it would have probably cost several million dollars to run at that distance. So that obviously wasn't practical. So this house has a little battery bank, a small solar system. I don't use electricity for most things other than like laptops, cameras, that kind of thing. Um, the rest of the systems are we heat with firewood with propane as a backup. The stove you can see behind me is a propane stove, and oven, and, um, you know, we carry water by hand, uh, to fill the internal water tank, which also keeps things from freezing in the cold climate and use a composting toilet. So that was fully off grid. Now our new property that we moved onto, there was actually, you know, grid power at a pole just inside the driveway when we purchased it. So we we're in the process of getting into my husband Clay. We've built a shop for, you know, his business. He's a builder. Um, we're in the process of getting grid power into the shop. So now the shop is not off-grid, but the house is still parked a little ways from that spot. So the house I'm sitting in is still running off the same little solar setup that it has been for years.
0: Which that shows it works well, because if it didn't, y'all would have parked it closer, right? So, like, <laughs> obviously, it yeah, you know, I guess, you know, you had a pretty good trial period, seven and a half years. If it didn't work, you would have done something about it. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The water is something I've always... Wondered how people in a climate like yours deal with because it's, it's it's a pain here. You know, we do get some cold weather. We had nineteen degrees a couple of days ago. I know that's like you know every other Tuesday for you, but for us, well, that's, but that, that's that will freeze water. You know, but, what, but once water's frozen, it doesn't care that you, it's like well, it doesn't usually get that cold here. The water's like I don't care, I'm frozen, right? <laughs> so like when you say you carry water, well, where where are you getting it from that it's not freezing up there? Is it do you like have a well
1: that it's an yeah, insulated head it or? I've done two different things. In the previous location, um, there was actually a stream very close to the house and I could have used water from there. But if I was going to use the open stream water for drinking, just because there's massive amounts of wildlife in our area and stuff that poop in the water, I would have wanted to filter, treat, UV light, something, that water before drinking it. So that would have certainly been an option, but that would have been a little more work. So what I did was literally just drive to a neighbor's well that had a really good well, and I'd fill up all my water jugs and I'd drive them back to my house and pour them into my internal tank because there is no external plumbing on this house, which is one of the reasons I don't ever have an issue with things freezing up here because there's nothing outside to freeze. So the whole interior of the house would have to get below freezing before I'd have a problem. Um But, of course, that's work. you just got to manually carry a bunch of water, and that's heavy. Um, It's heavy. (laughs) I knew I didn't want to do that part of that lifestyle forever. I've been doing it for a lot of years. It works. But someday I don't want to be 80 years old and having to haul water jugs around. Um, This property, we're very fortunate. was one of the reasons we purchased it, um, has, at at the moment, just a single hydrant out in the middle of it. But it is plumbed to a gravity-fed spring that's coming from a couple miles up the mountain above us with beautiful spring water. And because it's coming downhill with gravity pressure, it's actually coming out of that faucet. I think we tested like 85 pounds of pressure right straight out of the faucet. Oh, there. We, you can blow up a hose like you can't actually yeah. hook hose to it and then close the end of the hose. You'll see the, the hose starting to do this. Um, so you have to leave it free flowing if you're going to have it open on something stretchy like a hose. But anyway, we have now great water, but because the hydrant is also kind of toward the other end of the property. um and because it's very cold outside right now, I am still basically just taking my same water jugs to the hydrant, filling them up, and then pouring them in the internal tank, which is kind of back there in the corner, gotcha. under the sink and stuff. So there's still no external hookup here, which we may get to at some point. But to keep a water line from freezing here, you need to be pretty far underground, um, like five, six feet. So getting that kind of thing installed is a good bit of work. And so that hasn't happened yet.
0: Some years. <laughs> Some here, right? like I want to dig into the composting toilets, but let's one more real quick thing that made me think of: How are you doing your heat for showers? Are you using like an on-demand gas heater?
1: Um, close. It's an on. Uh, it's not an on demand. It is a propane water heater, but it's a little ten right. gallon tank. Our okay. water heater tends to be really cold. I actually, had friends with another tiny house on wheels come visit with their house, which is cool when you have friends who yeah. have houses on wheels and they just show up with their own house. Um, and they had an on demand heater, which had worked most places they had traveled. And they found that our water is so cold here, whether it's coming out of the ground, coming out of a creek, or coming out of a spring, their heater was only able to make it kind of lukewarm. It couldn't actually heat it. um, Yeah,
0: that makes sense.
1: Because it's just such a big temperature difference.
0: Yeah, you're so dropping funny. it, you're dropping it by, a, or you're raising it by a certain amount of degrees. So where you start matters. Like, yeah. that's what people say here when they're like, well, it's, it's, it's 81 in your house. It's like, well, it's 125 outside. <laughs> right? Like, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's what we got in August. That's what you, you know, I don't like it, but it is what it is. Yeah, so that's,
1: that's worked really well. It's very efficient. Uh, it uses very, very little propane. And with 10 gallons of water, you're not going to take an hour long shower, obviously, um, but you can take a shower and it, it reheats water pretty fast. So that works. So
0: let's dig into the, uh, the composting toilet aspect because I, I said during the, the intro of the show that there's a lot of reasons that people out there might need this, you know, as a, as a thing in their, in their life. One is it could be an emergency backup. Two is that a lot of us are looking to have kind of a place like you do, but maybe we don't want to live there full time. We want kind of a bug out location, and that's another piece of infrastructure that adds to the expense. So having a simple solution like composting toilet could work uh, for some of us. We want to build off grid, so that's that's d- another piece of infrastructure eliminated. Septic tanks work great. I have one. I- I'm not unplugging it, but I'll say that I've put some money into the damn thing in the eight nine years I've been here, and, and I, it's it's not maintenance free like you. You don't just ignore it and pretend everything's going to be all right forever. Um, so there's a lot of reasons people in this audience might be interested in this. And can you start out with the basics of, well, how do they work? And I know there's different kinds and different kinds work a little bit different ways, but the general principle of, of how they work.
1: Yeah. So that's one reason I thought this would be of interest to a lot of your listeners, because, um whether you want to do it full time, as I have been for years, or like you said, you just want a backup. It's one of the main things I see with people who are like they've got their backup food, their backup water, their backup generator, etc. And they haven't thought about what are they going to do with their poop if their regular system isn't working, whether that regular system is run by, you know, a well needing power to pump water to your septic tank or, you know, grid tied, um, you know, city sewer and so on. And so, yeah, there are a lot of reasons one might want to have one. And I often hear people say, "Well, you know, in a temporary situation, I could do this or I could do that." And I think those things you're describing are all awfully complicated when there's a really simple solution to this, folks. <laughs> and um, what is
0: temporary?
1: Like, well, that's
0: another thing people say. Well, temporary. Well, like what's well, temporary? You know, um, usually everything <laughs> being frozen in Texas is temporary, as in a container <laughs> too. Last year it was temporary, as in 14 days. It starts to wear you out after a certain period of time. And, in and fourteen
1: days, you're gonna have to poop more than once.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm gonna say, like people like, well, you know, the, the sewer works. Well, I'm gonna tell you for a fact that last year, everybody water froze, so nothing to take the water down the pipe, and a lot of people's toilets literally froze, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you got, you know, for us, we had a pool, and we knocked a hole in it, and we got a bucket of water, and down you go. But we had backup heat. Like for a lot of people. That was one of their big problems I had in suburbia. So that that's mm-hmm. a very, very valid point you made.
1: Yeah. And if you, you know, if you've got just a power outage for a couple hours, if you have some extra water, you can just manually pour it in a toilet. And as long as it's not frozen solid, it'll still force it to flush and and go away. But yeah, if temporary is 14 days, you probably may not have a pond to draw that much water out of. And if it's frozen solid on any part of that plumbing, then then it's not going to work. Um so, yeah, as far as the actual logistics, um, there are a lot of styles of how to do this. But basically what you're doing is taking what a lot of people call human waste, um, which isn't a word I even really like, because if something is useful, it's not waste. But your human excrement, human ore, human poop and pee, whatever you want to call it, um, and putting it in eventually turning it into a, a useful soil additive rather than. Shitting raw poop onto the ground, which can that will add some nutrients back to your soil, but that can also spread some microbes and have some problems. Or pooping in what most Western countries do is poop in your clean drinking water, which creates sewage, which is a a different kind of hazard to deal with. That's actual waste.
0: Right? That's actual waste. Yeah. We've, we're yeah. creating and, waste.
1: Yeah. And for most people, they don't think about it because it goes away. You know, you've, you've hit flush and you don't see it anymore. So um somebody had asked about, you know, realistic expectations. One thing I'll say right at the start is if you're going to use a composting toilet, you are going to, at some point, depending what setup you have, you are going to be manually involved with dealing with your poop. That's a fact. It's like I have a wood stove. I am manually involved with that thing. If I don't cut firewood and I don't put it in there, the house is cold. There's no just setting a thermostat and going away for 10 days or whatever. Um, so you do need to have that expectation. Now there's ways to have it set up to take more or less work involved, but there is going to be some involvement. There's no just awaying it, not that away is a place that's just out of sight and someone else is dealing with it. Um, but yeah, that's the basics. You're instead of um, pooping and peeing into water and flushing it away, which is a massive improvement over like throwing raw sewage in the streets and spreading bacteria and stuff through, you know, whole populations of humans that way. Um You know, the, the water-based sewage system is better in general than that. But we can do that just because it's better doesn't mean it's the best. And we can actually take all these things because Most of us do some kind of gardening or animal care, and we're probably all pretty familiar with the idea that you don't just take your rabbit poop or chicken poop or whatever and throw it in a dumpster to go away. You want that. That's a valuable resource. You want it in your compost pile. You want it to go back into your garden. You want to mulch your fruit trees or whatever, and... You know, as it comes down to a biological level, we're just another mammal and there is no reason that the things that come out of us cannot be used in the in the same way to kind of close that cycle. And rather than creating toxic waste, have a useful product that goes back into the soil and, um doesn't have these sanitation issues and doesn't give you a, a toxic pile of waste and keeps bringing all the nutrients you consume you know back into your circle instead of making them go out of the circle somewhere
0: and historically, this is pretty much what people did like like this this is the original way that this problem was dealt with. I remember I read a book called just Enough. And it was on the Eido period of Japan, which was one of the most sustainable societies ever created. Not necessarily people like when I covered that, people were like, oh, there was terrible things. But I know I didn't say I wanted to live there. I'm just saying there's <laughs> things we can learn from any situation. I didn't want to live under a samurai lord. I don't mean that. But um, mm-hmm. they had they, they called them uh, uh they called it n- uh, night, soil, night right? soil. right? They called they called the, the waste product itself night soil. Yeah. And there was night soil. People that would come like and, and take it away because people would compost in their little house, but then they would come and remove it and they would compost it uh, further and then sell it back to the farmers and to uh, other places that were growing food. And it turned out that like the poop of the samurai lords sold for higher cost compost than 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 the plebe right than the peasant. Because they ate a better diet so that the, the farmers that were using the compost knew that it was more, uh, rich, right? Like that's, you know, not, you know, common Thanksgiving table dinner talk or anything, but it is historically what people have done. And it is a resource that we're, we're not only sending away, we're creating a problem when we send it away. You know, I mean, exactly. my system is water based, but it doesn't leave my property. You know, mm-hmm. basically my system is fer- fertilizing my entire backfield. And what we're talking about doing is more of like a control of where it goes.
1: Yeah. And and sometimes a factor, like you said, you've had maintenance on your system. And I think your system was already there when you guys moved in. If you're looking at totally bare land and installing a system, that's a fairly big financial cost as well. Um, Right now, if I had just
0: (laughs) decided to build here on this rock pile that I live on, we they would all be composting toilets. Because the cost of doing this in the 70s when it was done wasn't too bad. Mm -hmm. The cost of doing an install here today is insane. (laughs) And I'm far enough back in time that I have like a standard septic, even though we have the the soil tap we have here. They wouldn't even let me do that. They would make me do an aerobic one with the sprinklers and all. Then it's more cost. There's no Mm -hmm. way I would pay to install a septic system today if we were building from scratch on this property. No way.
1: Yeah. 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 And just in case anybody's wondering, since we have done this move here and like I said, I don't want to haul water by hand my whole life. I do yeah. intend to poop in a bucket my whole life. Um, I've been doing it for years. <laughs> i totally fine with it. We have, you know, we do intend to hopefully somewhere down the road, build a small house attached to the ground, but we have no intention of installing a septic system or any of that. None of it is existing here. And there's there's no reason to add it. We're both perfectly happy with with this kind of setup. But, yeah, that's you know, it's it's a big expense. And for some people, I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, who tend to want to live off grid or homestead or whatever, aren't necessarily rolling in with, you know, massive bank accounts where money is is no object at all. And so a big expense like that is a, you know, a a real factor for a lot of us.
0: And it's more true now than it ever has been. The the place you're living in that you built would cost you two and a half times at least to build today, on yeah. building material increases. Just the, on the material cost of increase. So, the off grid dream is getting more and more expensive over time. Yeah. And so anything that we can cut, and you're talking, you're not talking a couple hundred bucks. You're talking thousands of dollars cut off. T- tens of thousands in a lot yeah. of areas. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So what about the big objection? Ew, they're gross, right? Yeah. So how, how do you respond to that?
1: Um Well, they're properly done. They're not. Um That door you can see behind me goes into a little bathroom that's kind of hiding behind the stairs here. There is a composting toilet in there. There is, I know there's no smell through this camera and audio system, but there is no smell in the house. There has not been in the eight years I've lived in here. I have had... In case you're wondering, a lot of different friends and family and guests and stuff come over. It's not just me who thinks the house doesn't stink. Um, and it's not uh, a lot of people have changed their baby diapers. And, you know, if you open a child's diaper, it's just pooped in there. That is that is raw poop. That stinks. That's um, gross.
0: I'm, I'm going to say it. I know babies yeah. are cute and all, but that's gross. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it is.
1: It is. And if you use cloth diapers, like I, I have a lot of younger siblings and I washed a lot of cloth diapers when I was growing up and, and, you know, it's certainly doable. Um, but it's kind of gross. A composting toilet is not like that. Now there's different setups and I've personally used different kinds, but whatever setup you're using, what you're going to do is put in your most recent deposit and then cover it with some kind of absorbent material. Um, I personally have used sawdust, coconut core, peat moss, In some places in the world, you know, people are using shredded leaves, shredded, you know, wood of various kinds. Basically, the finer the material, the less you're going to have to use. But you're putting your most recent deposit, especially of poop, in there and then you are covering it and probably any gardener who's already worked with just composting kitchen scraps or animal manures or stuff knows if you put that stuff right on top of your compost pile with no covering you can get a smell but if you like open your compost pile a bit and put the fresh stuff in and scrape the older over or put your fresh stuff in and put your grass or hay or straw or something absorbent like that on top there's no smell and with or if I mean, you think of a
0: chicken coop right or a duck coop that like when you've freshly laid down your bedding and you go in there day after day after day, even though it's on the surface because there's so much carbon, it doesn't smell bad. And then you start to get a wafting like, and then either you you wreck it out and replace it, or you put in like I do I do deep litter. I, I wreck out minefield once a year, right? I just put another layer over. You walk in the next day and it smells like wood chips. Yeah, right. So if it works yeah. for. 40 ducks, it'll work for two people, right? I mean,
1: Because ducks, uh, we've just had oh, ducks yeah. for the first time in this last year. They make more poop than, like, anything else for their body size. It's incredible. <laughs> Definitely And they've just more decided they love our
0: porch for some reason for the last <laughs> week, and we've got so much stuff out there from Christmas we can't hose it all down. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking of when I said that, because I go out to my coop every morning. It doesn't smell bad. I think one of the reasons people get this in their head is, is people that travel and go to like campgrounds, uh, national You're parks, et of pit toilets. Right. Yeah. And like, so there's a, a place at Rocky Mountain National, I was at not so long ago, maybe four or five years. And we went on a Jeep tour and they stopped and like 50 people run in to use the, fa- the one stop there is for the facility on the three hour drive. And it stinks. Oh my <laughs> God. And it's Especially like, if yeah, it's there's alone. hundreds of people a day using that and there's no carbon. Right. Like that's not yes. the same. So I think when people go to campground toilets and things like that and they think, oh, that's a composting toilet. That is not what you're talking about putting in no, somebody's house.
1: Not at all. If you <laughs> just have a bucket or whatever container of poop and pee with nothing else in it, just open to the air, that is going to stink for sure. Um, but no, that is not what I'm talking about. And now just to clarify something. um There really are very few toilets, despite the name of being called a composting toilet, where all the composting happens inside the toilet um, because you're usually adding fresh deposits every day because you continue being a human that pees and poops. And so normally to finish the composting process, and I'll talk about in a minute with how mine's set up, definitely a lot of breakdown happens inside my toilet. But when I go to empty it, there is still a... finishing process that generally happens outside in a pile a bin, you know, something like that before it's actually fully composted. Um, but oh, yeah, it is, it is nothing like having just a, a pit toilet. Those are really, really stinky and nasty. Which Um, which
0: most outhouses were as well. That's how people ran outhouses. They dug a hole. When it got full, they moved the house and they dug another hole. Yeah,
1: yeah. and some people even called them bucket toilets because there's a lot of bucket versions that are very easy to make of a a composting toilet setup, but apparently there is actually something else formally called a bucket toilet that is more like that pit toilet. You just poop and pee in a bucket with no covering material and then dump it somewhere. That is not what I'm talking about either. That is also... Smelly and nasty. Do y'all um, do
0: anything with separation of liquids and solids? Like, um, I've used some that basically there's like little instruction on the wall for guests and it's like, if you do a solid deposit, you know, you go with a couple handfuls of, of, uh, of sawdust. And if you make a liquid, you do a, a single. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to, to, to me, it makes sense that you might separate, but I guess different systems work different ways. Personally here, a lot of my, liquid deposits go outside into a pile of straw. You know, I mean, it's easy.
1: Yeah. So I've done both. The one that's in the house um, is actually a nature's head brand composting toilet that does have a urine diverter. So there is a, a bin for solids and then there's a separate tank for liquids. Um, That and it looks more like what people think of as a, you know, normal toilet. So if you've never used it before and I was a little nervous about this when I first moved into my tiny house and I realized that I wasn't, you know, logistically, I wasn't going to have the option of digging in a septic system on land. I didn't own into the granite side of a mountain. You know, that wasn't going to be an option. And so I was nervous about the idea of having a bucket of poop in the house. Um, And the nature's head is probably good for somebody who's scared of that um, because it just looks more normal and less scary. Um, since then I've also used bucket versions where there is no separation and there's pros and cons to both systems, which I can get into, but they, uh, they're actually simpler and easier. I think um, I do like the urine separation because in the summer, um, I, I use urine as fertilizer. Urine is very high in, yep, that's a nature's head. Um, very, very high in nitrogen as well as other nutrients. And if you even buy especially more organic fertilizers, you often see urea as an ingredient listed, whether it's from a human source or an animal source. That's pee, folks. That's what you're putting on your plants if you buy fertilizer that has urea in it. And for almost everything, including veggies, um, I if I take urine and I don't measure this precisely, but if you do about one part urine to about 10 parts water, that is diluted enough to not burn anything. And that goes on all my flowers, herbs, veggies. Um, You know, I kind of take turns rotating it through as I empty, you know, urine buckets through the summer. Just. Giving everything a shot of that as fertilizer, things seem to grow super happy. If you remember back to all those flower planters you saw around the house at the beginning, they've been fertilized with urine for years. And the only thing I don't do that on is like a lettuce crop or something where I'm going to eat the leaves in the next day or two. Um, then I, you know, and I'll even fertilize lettuce with it when they're little. And I know I'm not going to be eating them for the next month. Um sure, but Makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise. So it's kind of nice to have urine separation for that if you do a lot of gardening, because there are times, especially through the summer, where it's nice to have just the urine in its liquid form to fertilize things with. Um, And we also, like you said, you just can pee in a straw pile. Friends pee on trees around here outside. And we also just have a a urinal bucket outside that is simply a bucket. And if there's a bunch of people around you tell especially all the guys to uh, go pee in the bucket. And at the end of the day you got, you know, a bunch of liquid in there and you can dilute it and fertilize things. Um, But urine is also really useful for breaking down the compost. So with that urine bucket, um, like in the winter right now, obviously I have nothing growing here at all with the, uh, you know, the snow's like three feet deep out there and it's been below freezing for weeks. So what I do with it then is add it to my compost pile because I have several big compost bins that are, you know, weeds, manure from animals, you know, all the kitchen scraps, all that kind of stuff. And they don't do a lot of breaking down in the winter because my climate gets so cold here. Everything just kind of goes dormant for a while and then comes back to life. But I empty urine buckets into there through the winter. And I think it keeps the core of that pile actually going a little bit. But definitely, then when it warms up in the spring, I mean, that thing just takes off. Sure. Because you have so much of that nitrogen, nitrogen in there. Is fuel, being, right. Nitrogen yeah, is
0: the
1: key by all that plant material and whatever that's sitting there so it's not just, you know, running out into the ground through the winter. Um, but urine is great for making compost breakdown. So actually for breaking down your ore, having the the poo and pee mixed together is a a wonderful thing. Um which is why a, a bucket toilet works so well because if you're just pooping in it, peeing in it and adding some kind of fibrous carbony, cellulose material, sawdust or whatever, um, that mix alone makes some spectacular compost. And so, again, if you have just a five-gallon bucket, which is what a lot of people will do, and you can make a, a nice little toilet seat lid that goes over it in a, in a box. My husband's made several of these for us. So we have a composting toilet in the shop, one in the house, one out in the edge of the woods that just has a couple wood panels around it for some privacy, um, and you sit on a totally normal-looking toilet seat or stand to pee if you're a guy or whatever, but what's collecting is just a regular five-gallon bucket, and that's you know, a good size for a lot of people. You can carry it, even if it's full, that's not too heavy. There are certainly ways to set up bigger bins if you want to sure. move it less often, but they get heavier it, so You to figure out the logistics of how you're going to move it when it's full. It's
0: scalable, right? Depending on what you're dealing with, like what Paul Wheaton, they do up there because they have so many people, they build like, mm-hmm. they look like outhouses, but they're up in the air. And they so use have a like a hundred, hundred gallon wheelie cart barrels, like for garbage mm-hmm. refuse. And that takes a while to fill up. And it's just basically what you said. It's like you go and then you throw in some carbon. And then when it's full, you throw the lid down, wheel it out and put a fresh one in and, and go from there. Um, yeah. It can be an issue, right? I mean, the more people you have, the more capacity you want, the less swap outs you got to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for one or two people, a five gallon bus, especially when you have a few around the property so that you can conveniently use the one over there or the one here or whatever, Um, I know people are going to ask about the frequency of emptying that with the nature's head. You do empty it less often because it has a bigger container than a five gallon bucket. And so for a lot of years, I was the only one here in the house. And then I did something which I don't know of many other people having done because I don't empty it as frequently. I put earthworms in my toilet. Like red wigglers, you buy from Jim's Worm Farm or whatever, and you can start your little composting setup in your garage. I've never heard of it, but it
0: makes sense, right? They,
1: yeah, they're happy. Don't, don't poop. I mean, they don't it's one know. of their favorite foods. Yeah. So I, I just dumped, you know, years ago, like 500 or whatever you bought in the little bag that they mail to you in, in that toilet, and they break down that stuff so well um, that. Most of the time, other than, like, whatever deposit you put in, like, today and yesterday, when I go to empty this, and on my channel, there are videos where you can see this in person of me going through it with my hands. It comes out of there looking like potting soil. I could put that stuff in a bag, sell it to you as potting soil. It looks good. It feels good. It smells good. It is completely digested and, and broken down. Um and and so that's really nice. And because they do help break it down, I empty that less often. So with the Nature's Head and one person using it, I would probably say I emptied it usually the solids bin every three to four months, um, okay. which is not a big deal because I'm only doing that three or four times in a year. And as I said, you know, there's some manual work involved in that. You just you kind of lift the toilet seat lid part off and you take the bin out. And I still always further compost it outside before adding to the garden. Um The urine bin, uh, I drink a lot of water and a lot of tea when it's cold and all that. So that I end up emptying once a week to every 10 days just to give people a reference. The five-gallon bucket version, um we tend to empty more often, and so I haven't found it useful to put the earthworms in there because they don't have enough time to actually break things down in there, which I guess you could do if you just want a line up of spare buckets. So you take your full one out and just set it somewhere without emptying it. It's easier yeah. for me since we have land here to, to dump it into a, a bigger pile. Um, but the, you know, like with two people using a five gallon bucket, we're emptying it more like once a week or so rather than every three or four months, but it's, Again, it's not a real big deal. It's not that hard to pick up a five gallon bucket and carry it somewhere and dump it out. Um, I forget what question I was originally answering there
0: we we we're talking about, um, separation of liquids and solids. I think we hit it pretty good though. I don't know that we need to get Oh yeah. So there's
1: sure. reasons to do both. You, you can do both. Your bucket will be lighter to empty if your liquid isn't in it, obviously, because water's heavy. If that's a factor, it'll break down faster with both mixed together, but you may want your urine separated out for other fertilizer purposes. So I think it's nice to have both options. And I think
0: it's reasonable that people listen to this understand that like there's, there's, there's trade-offs and there's also like, Halfway instead of all the way. So I was mentioning that I, you know, I'd make liquid deposits outside. Basically I have a 25 gallon or 21 gallon, uh, mixing tray, like you get at Home Depot, like concrete chips, like I use for my ducks. If anybody's seen my videos with the ducks Mm -hmm. and I have a five gallon bucket full of wood chips and you go in there and you throw some wood chips on it. And by the time it's done, you have a 20 gallon tub of, you know, nitrogen soaked wood chips and just put it in the back in the shade and throw another one out there. And by the time that one's full, the other one's completely broken down. And so we're not yeah. on a composting toilet, but as I, I'm not going to say I get up in the middle of the night, and go outside to do that. That's, that's not happening. Right. But like if I'm out working or something, then it's more convenient to come in the house. So there are half ways in between where you can start harnessing at least part of your waste stream. And sure. you know, if you don't want to go all, all in and then if you do that, you might, Look at her crack the window in Wyoming. I uh- know, <laughs> oh, this
1: wood stove over here is actually, what my steam is beside it and I am getting hot. <laughs> uh,
0: um, so um, what do you do, like you, we mentioned, like continuing the breakdown after the, the solids been empty? So what do we do for that?
1: So obviously, like you had mentioned, with a lot of Asian cultures, there was a, a lot of use of night soil, which is Um, it's not really raw sewage when you're not mixing it with water, but is raw human excrement. And if you put that on your fields, vegetable patches, whatever, you will add a lot of nutrients back into there. But when it's completely raw and fresh and somebody just pooped it out yesterday or whatever, you can also get spread of various diseases and bacteria and such. Um, So that is definitely not ideal and not what I would recommend anybody do. Composting though, as you probably are familiar with, because I imagine most people listening to this at some point have composted their kitchen scraps or something. When that's broken down, it doesn't look like potato peels and carrot tops anymore at all. It looks like soil. And when you're composting human excrement, it's very much the same thing. It. Uh, so I just have a composting pile outside. I tend to put everything together. So I've got my, you know, kitchen scraps, except now the chickens eat all them, so they don't make it to the compost. But. um you know, weeds that I pull, you know, clippings, leaves, um, branches, occasional animal carcass, human ore, duck manure, chicken manure, etc. That all goes into that big pile. And... um and breaks down. And there are some fascinating science on what compost in general, not necessarily specific to, you know, human excrement can break down. But, you know, how it can break down even things like TNT and, you know, the the microbes in the compost, you know, disassemble that stuff into a few harmless molecules and so on. There's a fascinating study from right outside of Chernobyl when there was, you know, a ban on exporting any vegetables products from the area because of you know, radiation contamination, one farmer who had been applying a lot of compost to his soil for decades, they ran the test on his veggies and they they thought they did it wrong because they couldn't find any trace of, you know, radiation. So they did it again and they ran it again and they still couldn't find any trace. So the best conclusion is the microbes ate all of it. Um, they either is-
0: eat it or they lock it up. Uh, Lawton talks about this. There are certain toxins that when you have good, Breakdown with your compost, the toxin is there, but it becomes inert it and becomes bound enough. and locked yeah, up, and yeah. then the plant the plant doesn't want it, right? So the plant, right. I, I was asking him about this a long time ago, and he said like you know if you had cadmium in your soil, your plant doesn't want to eat cadmium. Your plant's not going to even cadmium doesn't even really need to be bound up because the plant's not going to do it. But if mm-hmm. your pH were to get low enough that the cadmium becomes water soluble, then your plant might be forced to drink it. But when we compost, we take a lot of these toxins and we actually, if they're still there, we lock them up. Uh, Even in some situations like in desert farming where we have salt and we have salinity in the soil, the salt is there, but it becomes inert and it doesn't affect the plant anymore. It's kind of crazy. It's like nature has this solution to every problem that we can create if we'll just you know, follow the, the textbook that it's laid out for us called The Planet.
1: Yeah, so it, it breaks down and you're doing the same thing. You're not just making a pile of just poop because if you made a pile of just poop outside that would stink and you wouldn't like it, and your neighbors wouldn't like it and whatever, but you're doing the same. It's, it's probably already covered with your sawdust, coconut core, peat moss, whatever covering material you're using. Um, but when I dump a fresh bucket outside, I will kind of do what I said, you know, open the, the outside of compost, put the fresh stuff inside. This also helps get it cooking down faster and kind of scrape the, the drier outside part back over. And then there is no smell. And, um, if you're more comfortable, you could certainly have your own, you know, human ore composting bin that's over here and that's only human ore that goes and all my other compost stuff goes here. I've for years now been mixing the two together um, because it makes it. I mean, just like you add, you know, horse or cow manure to your, you know, yard waste or whatever to help everything break down well. Humanure does the same thing. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can certainly make your own human composting bin over there and and not mix the two. Um, and then. It, there's it seems to be from what I've read and my best understanding of compost you can break a lot of things down including a lot of you know the the handful of harmful microbes that could spread disease in two ways either you can get things up to a certain temperature and cook them to death or you can wait a certain length of time um, and so in my Area. My compost pile definitely gets hot in the summer, but like I said, right now it's totally dormant. It's way cold out there. Everything's just kind of sitting there. It's not going to do any more breaking down until spring. And so, what I do is be sure I give it plenty of time. Um, when people have tested this, they've actually like poured E. coli, A- polio, you know, typhoid, whatever—all the waterborne, soilborne, you know human illness causing things can be into a compost pile and then tested to see how long does it take for that to go away. Um, I think they've been able to find no trace at all of any of those things after a year. What I do just to be extra safe is I give everything two years. I'm always building a compost pile this year. And then I stop that and I fill the pile beside it the next year. And so, so everything always has two years before I'm actually taking that finished compost and putting it on things. But then I do put it on our vegetable garden. And I've been doing this for years and we're all still alive. So it goes right around the, um, you know, carrots, cabbages, potatoes, everything I grow. If you are either really freaked out by that, because some people are fecophobes and just completely paranoid about that, you can also just put it around landscaping trees, you know, put it around your pine trees or your blue spruce in the yard or your oak tree or whatever. um, And, and not use it around food things, or if you're more comfortable putting around like a berry bush or something where it's going to come in less contact than around a lettuce plant, um, you can do that as well. But I have been, and other people have been very successfully using it in their vegetable gardens as well for many years. Um, And, it works really well. Now, one thing I did want to address with that, if you are, I think this is less applicable to this group, but some people are using composting toilet because they're either in a house on wheels or they're in an RV and they're actually moving. They're not just parked you know, on a property. If you're moving all the time, you probably don't have a pile in your backyard that you can go dump things into. And then people say, well, what do I do with it then? Well, you can um, in almost everywhere I know of, you can take the the material that's coming out of your composting toilet, which will already, you know, be less mass because it is partially broken down than having like a black water tank or something. And because you're not adding any extra water to it. And, tie it up in a plastic bag and put it in a dumpster that's going to go in a landfill. Now, obviously there, you're not getting any of the nutrients back in the soil. That is not ideal, but it's, if you think about it, it's not fundamentally different than somebody using their pamper, you know, baby pamper and wrapping up their baby's poop and putting it in a trash can. And, you know, as long as it's wrapped up like that, as far as I know, everywhere in this country, landfills accept human waste wrapped up in plastic which again is not an ideal and they don't thing inventory do it like anyway
0: that. like if you toss that in a dumpster or something like there it's not like there's some guy when it gets there going oh look. like
1: opening every bag to and see then figuring inside. out
0: who put it in the dumpster right like i i think that's that's uh yeah, yeah, we have plenty of baby, like you said, baby diapers is probably a huge part of landfills to begin with. And I would it's actually say what you're talking about is less because it's not wrapped up in plastic and God knows what else is in a baby diaper. right? It's, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's fundamentally breaking down. I, I know I'm a heretic and all, but I would probably like find a nice little tree somewhere that needs some fertilizer and kick some leaves away and buy. Uh, but that's just me.
1: yeah and like you said it can add a ton of of nutrients back it's fascinating to look at you know and again like you said not everything is ideal about the culture by any means but some of the huge cities in china and such that have had lots and lots of people for thousands of years because some people like oh this will only work if you're you know out somewhere remote with lots of acres all to yourself and so you couldn't possibly do this if there's lots of people close together but like you pointed out there was night soil collectors and this wasn't This wasn't like garbage collectors that we're used to thinking where you pay them to come get your stuff and make it go away. This was people who paid you to take your poop because it was so valuable and there was there was apparently even like wars and fights and backstabbing over who got the the local poop contract to be allowed to pick up everyone's night soil and come and into the waste
0: industry the, is is tied in with the mob still today for a reason it's profitable and no one really wants it except the people that understand the value of it and you know yeah that's but then those saying, people would
1: come collect you know if you were in a an apartment or whatever and you didn't have your pile in your backyard because you didn't have a backyard somebody come collect your bucket they'd take yeah, it right outside the city. And, and then unfortunately some were just spreading it raw on the land, which like I said, adds a lot of nutrients, but you can get disease. But it allowed there to be like this green belt of, of food production right outside a big city with enough nutrients in it over hundreds or thousands of years without depleting that soil to feed all those people inside the soil, I mean inside the city without having to bring you know, like, I don't know what the average is in the U.S. Now, every bite of food you eat has traveled 1,500 miles or something yeah. on average before it gets to your grocery store. Yeah, um, this could
0: be a thing if we wanted it to be. And it's an interesting study of history, too. I really never thought about it this way. But, like, that term night soil has, in different languages has different pronunciations or whatever. But it's the same thing. And, like, in Japan, where I was talking about in the Ido period, what they would do is they were using rice bran because they were all mm-hmm. rice growers. So they would use the, the brand from the rice for tons of things, including cleaning dishes and all, but it was also their carbon source. So they had a carbon source and they, like when I read that book, there was no evidence of any widespread disease caused in England. They were doing pretty much what you said. They were getting the buckets taken outside and throwing it on fields. And there was, you know, typhus outbreaks and things like that. And those were just almost the same one element left out. The carbon yeah. being left out. Caused it to be a much bigger problem. And I don't think they were being rigorous in Idaho, like we were talking about, like a year and whatever. It was much faster turnover, but the carbon alone was creating that bond and, 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 well, it, and
1: it, it compared to a pit toilet, when you have a compost pile, I tend to make. My bins out of pallets because that's easy, and they're free to me, um, but it's up above the ground. you have you know oxygen going through there because of all the little right. holes and stuff, so there is you know. I always get it backwards. This is aerobic breakdown, which is not very smelly. When you have, like you were saying, those National Park pit toilets and you put everything down in a hole and it's covered in in all the liquid, there is you're having anaerobic breakdown and that stuff stinks. That's part of why it stinks so bad. It doesn't break down as efficiently. And, you know, so... the even you know like people with an outhouse. If you just dig a hole in your property and put all of your poop and stuff in the hole, it's not going to break down and turn into actual compost in the same useful way. No, as as doing what we're talking about.
0: In your opinion, what would be the best type of toilet? We've mentioned like just a basic bucket with a lid. I uh, mentioned the one that you have now. I mean, what would you say is kind of the best? And I don't know if "best" is the right word. Like. What are the trade-offs, I guess?
1: Yeah, I think it's like a lot of things you talk about. I think the answer to that is it depends. Um, I, I like having both here, actually. Um, now a nature's head toilet is still, you know, far and away less expensive than installing a septic system, as we discussed. They run about a thousand dollars, but they are still more expensive than, you know, building a, a more bucket system where you can probably get a five gallon bucket for free or a couple dollars and, you know, build a little box yourself, which isn't free anymore. If you've got to buy the lumber because that's expensive, but still a lot less than a thousand dollars. You can build a box with a toilet seat that opens and closes and slides a bucket under it um, for, you know, somewhere between free to a few dollars. And I like I I really do like that. I have both here. In hindsight, I didn't have a ton of, you know, extra money around right when I bought this this tiny house. I would have just gone with the bucket system instead of paying extra to have the nature's head. But like I said, I wasn't yet comfortable with the idea. And um, so that's what I did. But now that I already have it, like I said, I like having the urine separation and you can build your own urine diverters. Um, You don't have to buy that specific toilet to make that possible. But I like having the urine separation for some things because I want just the pure liquid for doing some of my fertilizing. But it is also super handy to... Just have a bucket. And it's even, you know, just when you have guests over, which I've always found it's fascinating. A lot of people like, oh, well, I would have a composting toilet, but my wife would never whatever. In my experience with my friends that come over, you tell women like, you know, okay, you lift the lid. If you're doing with a, a nature's head, there's a little flopper valve that or, you know, not valve, little flopper gate that closes the solid bin. So if you're just peeing, you leave that closed and it's going to go in the liquid tank. If you're going to take a poop, you open that little trap door, the poop goes down and you close it. So that's not too hard to explain, but women are always like, oh, okay. And guys are like, I think I'll just go outside behind a tree. Um, for whatever reason, guys seem to be way more freaked out by that than most women that I've had over. I don't know if but- it's freaked
0: out or it's just that it's so easy to just go out and go behind a tree. Like just, it's like they have an option that y'all don't, right? Like, because even when we yeah. do like the big workshops here, because we bring Portage Johnson for like we have like ninety people here for a week. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not that's, that's not happening with buckets, and it's not <laughs> happening with my, you know, it's not happening with my my three hundred gallon septic either. We tell the mm-hmm. guys just go to the the back fence and pick a spot,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: Randomly, it's like it, it's one less thing to organize. Uh, and because of one person in eight years, we have to say the back fence, not the <laughs> front fence on the road, because somebody did it, right? Like, oh, and man. sober, too, just saying, right? Like, <laughs> But I think maybe it's just because, like, I don't know, like, when my grandson found out he was allowed to go outside and pee, like, that's all he did for, like, a week. Oh, yeah. And some of yeah. the guys, we like to pee out in the woods, man. It's just a thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: But as far as, you know, if you have just a bucket set up, it is a little less, you don't even have to explain that, open the trap door, et sure. cetera. Is that you lift the lid just like you do on every other toilet you have ever seen on your life. You sit down and you do whatever you're going to do. And then instead of hitting flush, you grab that little scoop sitting beside there and you put a, a scoop of whatever carbon-y material we're using, sawdust, et cetera, on top. If you still smell it, you put another scoop on it, you know. Um, it's very very Simple. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you can't work that out, you probably don't need to be using it in the first place. <laughs> like, I mean, like, there is a, you know, um, I guess too, like, if you wanted to do separation, you were doing a self build bucket, you could just make a 2 holer
1: I mean, well, that was, that have was, that in the shop right now. We have, um, I actually don't find it that difficult to, I can personally, as a woman, for the women out there, I can sit on the top of a five-gallon bucket, just the actual rim of a five-gallon bucket and pee. Um, but, my husband did make a really nice little box with a regular toilet seat. So we have two sitting right beside each other. One gets both. It's fine if you pee in there some too. But if you know you're just peeing, open the other one. That's the urinal bucket, you know, and sit or stand or whatever you want to do. And that's, that's very uncomplicated.
0: We we talked about pathogens, so I don't think we need to redo that. But I, I noticed here in your notes you had a, a thing about um, pharmaceuticals, and we did have a question from one of the people in the live feed about that. Uh, that person said I think that their wife is on a maintenance medications for epilepsy, and so they were concerned about the contamination of of someone that's on a continuous use of pharmaceuticals. Is that, is that an issue? Or
1: I think that is a consideration. Unfortunately, it is also with our you know liquid sewage systems as well because what what i think is a little bit funny when people are like oh you poop in a bucket that's so gross i think do you know what your city does with your water you poop in the water they they run it through a bunch of filters and it comes back out of your tap and you drink it now who's doing something gross here um yeah and on on
0: adding to that before you go forward the other thing that happens is every single nursing home hospital clinic etc when they get expired medications they dump that crap right in the toilet and they flush. Like I've seen pictures of like, you know, like bus trays full of just every color of drug you can think of going down the toilet. And then that's going through that same sep- uh, sewer system and coming right back out your tap. That's why, like, if you're on city water, stuff you have too. a...
1: I mean, a lot of, you you know, industry stuff is going into that same city septic system and, and it is a problem. I mean, that there are some of those pharmaceutical contaminants that are getting through that, you know, that whole filtering system that sure takes out all the solids and chlorinates it and whatever and kills a lot of microbes. We don't have a good system for filtering out some of those pharmaceutical drug compounds. So that is somewhat of a concern. Now, if you're on your own property, you know what you take. And this is another thing that I I find fascinating. People somehow think that, you know, I eat a carrot and an apple and an egg or whatever for my meal and it goes through my system of my body. It doesn't magically come out with all kinds of poisonous things that were not inside of you. You know, there are plenty of bacteria and stuff in there, but that's because we have lots of bacteria in our guts and they're constantly reproducing and dying off. And a, a large portion of what you look at when you look at, you know, a turd, a big proportion of that volume is dead cells of, of microorganisms of various kinds that are constantly dying off and reproducing in your gut. So there are definitely microorganisms there. But if they're healthy ones that are already inside of you, they don't magically become pathogenic the minute they exit your butt, you know. Um, And you probably know, like whoever was asking the question, you know what drug you're taking. You know what that is. And if somebody what I would recommend is if somebody in the family or a lot of family members or whatever are using a lot of pharmaceuticals, I probably would be a little more hesitant to put that on my vegetable crops. It will still break down. I don't know of any issues with fertilizing a pine tree with that um, because you're probably not eating most of a pine tree, though pine needles make excellent tea. Um, but, you know, I would if you're concerned about that, I would put it on a more of a non-food item and still get it back in the soil, um, because otherwise those pharmaceuticals are going back in people's drinking water. And that's already an issue. And I don't know that anyone's really come up yet with a good solution to that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I would think that you're gonna have more of that lock up and moving toward an inert state in a composted system versus a, a city sewage treatment system. Yes. And you know if you're talking the the whatever that with nature's head, like they're like a grand. Okay, so that would be kind of expensive to have one just for the other person. But if you're if you're building your own toilet seat's about twelve bucks, right? And a bucket is free to three dollars.
1: So yeah. You can
0: have one that's for that person if and then. Like I, I wouldn't hesitate to use that for ornamental trees, like you said, or probably even on your rose
1: bush or yeah,
0: stuff like that. And then, you know, just don't use that for your, your intensive vegetable gardening. Or I, I do believe honestly that the composting, uh, system, uh, over, you know, the biology in there over time will break down just about anything. If it'll, if it'll make cabbages safe to eat in Chernobyl. Um, it's probably going to be okay. You know, Over if, if you give it enough time, um, yeah. it's amazing what time does. I remember watching a documentary one time and it was uh, these buildings in Chicago where they'd been abandoned, like in the eighties, which isn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. And like freaking trees were growing on the roof and it looked like ruins in the jungle, like roots going over the side. And the roots were literally eating the concrete.
1: Yeah. And, just and breaking I think, that,
0: you know, the timeline in our mind of reality is does not match natures. Um, if we can go from the 1980s to the to early two thousands, when I saw this documentary, that's 20 years
1: mm-hmm. to
0: trees eating concrete. As long as you're not throwing it on, you know, your greens that you're going to harvest that day, I think you're probably okay. It's, it's yeah, like, and yeah. I, wanted,
1: I wanted to go back real quick to one of the things you were saying that you don't, It's certainly not like you have to decide I want to only ever use a composting toilet of some kind in my life or I'm going to keep using my city septic system Um, because like a lot of people in this audience have backups. Maybe you have a generator, not because you run it every time you want power. You have it for when your power goes out. Um, So even if you're like, "Ew, that's kind of gross. That lady is weird. I don't want to poop in a bucket. It wouldn't be that hard for you to have a bucket. And like you said, they're only, you know, 10, 12, 20 bucks, depending how nice of a toilet seat you want to get. Have a bucket have a toilet seat and have a bucket of some sawdust or something you got from your wood shop or your friends or or something like that. And just put it in whatever corner you store your backup stuff. And then if you don't have the option of flushing your toilet because it's frozen solid or, you know, the power's out and you don't have water to make it flush or whatever, you at least have that option for something that isn't going to be stinky. You don't have to go poop outside of your back door. You don't have sewage backing up in your drains or, or whatever. So it's certainly a a backup option that even if you don't think you ever want to use it, would not be that hard to have around. Or like I said, just moving to a new bare property, even before we got the, you know, tiny house to code here, the very first thing we did was tuck one of those bucket toilets out in the tree line because when you're out here working for the day, you're going to have to go sooner or later. And it's really handy if there's something you can use. Even if you're planning to install a septic system, that's probably not going to happen, you know, on day one. But on day one, you can put a bucket there and have somewhere to go when you need to. So there are, I think, a whole lot of, you know, uses like that, even if you're not, you know, like me and saying, well, I just want to poop in a bucket in my house forever or or even if you have a you know house with stairs and whatever to different bathrooms and then somebody is injured or disabled and not except you can put a bucket toilet right beside their bed you know till they get better where they don't have to go anywhere they don't have to travel any distance you know so there's a lot of uses there as well
0: No totally valid we we live on the first floor of our house we have two big rooms upstairs but they're really guest rooms and in a in and in like a workout room um but when I hurt my ankle you know, going up and down stairs was not an option for about the first six weeks. It just wasn't. And so that's yeah. a totally valid scenario, you know, where you might be limited in mobility. I've, I've since having a couple of injuries in the last few years have said, you know, one of the things we need to be thinking about is, things like having crutches around and, and, and splints and stuff like that. And not just for, you know, like what Doc Bones talks about, like if, if the grid goes down forever and you're the highest level of medical care is you. And I, I don't even mean that. Just these these injuries that occur because what happens when that injury occurs when you're outside shoveling snow and you're snowed in for a week, mm-hmm. right? Like, and But having that, that's another valid point that mobility and becoming limited in your mobility is a
1: thing. And, and you know, a little- Box, You know, with a toilet seat lid yeah. on it that you can slide a bucket in and out from under and a bucket. Yeah. They don't weigh that much. And you could literally put it in the, you know, even if it's not where you keep it always in the corner of your living room or your kitchen or your bedroom, wherever you need it, just for the next week or six weeks or whatever. till you can get to your normal setup again. Yeah. Yeah. And, not and that's a better like,
0: option than a bedpan. I'll tell somewhere. you that. Right. <laughs> you know, a better option than a bedpan. Nobody wants to take the bedpan out. Right. So, like, yeah, totally valid. What about Legality. Um, I would imagine there's probably some jurisdictions where if you're going to build a house, they make you tie into the sewer all. But is there anything that says that you know of anywhere else that you can't do this?
1: So I can't give legal advice, obviously sure. but to the best of my knowledge, um there are definitely jurisdictions where especially if you have building codes and building permits to like get your occupancy permit, if you're building something, you're going to have to have at least one toilet attached to either a septic system or a a city sewage type system. Um, which is, which can be a real hurdle if you're wanting to go off-grid and just not have the expense, like you said, if you're moving onto your property today, of installing any of that. Um, so that may make you reconsider whether or not you want to buy a property in one of those jurisdictions. But I, I, I'm not aware of anything anywhere in this country um, where if you already are living in a house, like most people are, that already have a toilet or two or four or whatever that flush, that says you can't decide to poop in a bucket instead. Um, you know, it's there as far as they're concerned, it's hooked up. You have an approved method of sanitation, and nobody is there peering in your windows to say, Where did Jack take his poop today? You know, yeah,
0: I, that's back to how would they know, <laughs> right? Like, and I think like it is, it depends, right? Like, so where I live in Texas, as long as you are not in a municipality, if you're unincorporated, the only thing you need to be able to build your house is a septic permit that's $500. And what happens is the state inspector comes out, does a perk test on the soil and says, these are the approved types of septic systems you're allowed to put in. Give me five hundred dollars. You give him five hundred dollars. He gives you a permit. He goes away. You can now build. You don't actually have to put the septic system in. You just have to pay them for the permit that says you have a valid septic solution available and what those are. And then you can put the house in and put all composting toilets in. And actually in Texas, it's considered a valid System, Right. Yeah, but even There
1: are jurisdictions that actively up, approve them or, or some will. There's a NF something, the National National something or other company, um, group
0: of assholes that, that are yeah, telling that, us how to live our lives.
1: That's a, you can use one as long as it's a design approved by this organization. Um, so, so you there might are have to go get
0: that nature's head instead of your bucket. Right. But again,
1: yeah.
0: like, let's say I was building a house. And I was going to have two bathrooms in it. And I have to have a nature's head for a sign off. How do they know what's in my other bathroom? They don't. Right?
1: Well, I think you put in your garage that. or your shop or out yeah. back for when you don't want to bother coming in the house. Yeah. Yes. So I think bigger uh,
0: properties, too, like you were saying about having a facility like on the back 40 or whatever. Hugely convenient, by the way, because, <laughs> like, you know, I have a three acre property. And it's still like, damn, I got to go all the way to the house. And that's not a big deal. But, you know, I've, I've been on some properties a couple hundred acres. And, you know, if you're constantly working in an area, having kind of that remote solution is probably a great idea. I never really thought of it that way. And then Dawn saying something here in the comments that I think is totally valid because I've had this. Um, she said a friend of mine lives in such high water table every time they have a large rain event, her septic backs up. That's not me, but I've had septic backup. Right. It's not and like it's gross. not a thing that, like it's gonna <laughs> if you run septic. Sooner or later you're gonna have this we had it was a May and there's 31 days in May we got 28 days of rainfall wow and that was enough to do it like when we pumped it like the guy was pumping it out and the water was pouring into it as he was pumping it out so you know that was a situation where this would have been a very valid temporary solution.
1: Yeah. And so as far as legalities, there are definitely going to be some jurisdictions where if you just say I'm building a new house and I'm not putting anything in but a composting toilet, you may run into legal issues that that varies so much by city, township, county subdivision. You're going to have to investigate that yourself. A lot of them do have some option where if you you know, it's an exception where if you go and say, look, here's what I want to do. Here's why you may get someone to say, okay, that looks fine. We'll give you an exception permit or say, nope, no way. Um, but like I said, if you're one of the many, many people, the vast majority, I assume, who are listening to this, who already live in some kind of building with a flushing toilet in it, to the best of my knowledge, there is nowhere that says every single time you go to the bathroom, it must be deposited in there or we're going to come find you.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't think that's real likely either, because, again, (laughs) as dumb as government is, it tends not to, to to try to enforce laws that it cannot enforce, like that's that's an unenforceable law. If they actually pass that law, I wouldn't even care. I would just ignore it. Like I really don't. There's there's you know I probably do have an NSA guy that's pretty disappointed when he spies on my computer activities, but <laughs> I doubt they're gonna be checking out where I'm taking a dump. That's
1: that's and, and then there are some yeah. basic things like. I mean, just to be a good neighbor, don't just pile a pile of raw poop where your neighbor is going to smell. I mean, that's being a bad neighbor. And two, a lot of jurisdictions do have some kind of, you know, smelly nuisance kind of law. So don't be a smelly nuisance. And there's no reason to be a smelly nuisance because you're using a composting toilet. I mean plenty of people do this in tiny backyards. Um, you know, there is no smell from my outside pile at all. If you don't even want to look at your compost pile, I don't plant a rose bush or a wisteria vine or whatever in front of it and it'll, you know, no one will even know it's there. That's um, like
0: life rule number one. Just don't yeah. be a dick. Like, because yeah. I don't care if it's waste or it's something else that stinks. Like if you purposefully pile something up that's going to cause stink for your neighbors. That's being a dick. Like Nicole Sauce, yeah. that was like her primary rule number one when she does the briefings here at our workshop. She's like, rule number one: don't be a dick, exactly. and that'll solve. We don't have to come through the other rules once we once we like. When you do this thing, are you going to be being a dick? Yes, don't do it, or figure exactly. out some way to mitigate your dickism, right? Like and and like that. So that's I agree completely with that. Don't don't do something like that. And I would, I'd say, don't do that with with rabbit manure. You know, don't I mean, yeah,
1: like, or even your kitchen scraps or whatever you're yeah. composting. Yeah. Yeah. Composting um, is like, there's
0: responsible ways to compost and irresponsible. I don't know about you. I never have a fly problem on my compost piles, but people that yeah. just throw raw vegetables and stuff on top of their compost piles. You go by their compost pile and it sounds like freaking world war three of flies. You know, they're everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Like, and you know, it's often
1: stinky. Yeah. So. Even if you don't want to do the like open the pile and scrape the sides back up, keep a little extra pile of your leaves, hay, straw wood yeah. chips, whatever when you put so cover it i mean it's the same thing I mean basically what you're doing in a in a bucket toilet, like you said, it's a deep litter manure system, just like yep. you might do in your bird barn. you're putting down a new layer of manure you're covering it with something dry you're putting down a layer, you're covering it et cetera um and and then there is not any smell um Another question that I have gotten asked a bunch over the years and that a couple people asked this morning was what about bugs? Like you just brought up flies and that reminded me of that. Do you end up with flies buzzing all through your house if you have a bucket of poop in there? Um, In general, no. If you have a more commercial setup like the nature's head, the way the lid latches down onto it, there's actually a seal around there. It's very hard for any kind of bug to get in and out um, if you have just an open bucket with a toilet seat over there, one could get in. Those tend to be emptied, like I said, more frequently anyway. If you get a fly that lays larvae in there and they start to hatch, take your bucket out, dump it outside, and put an empty bucket back inside. That'll resolve the problem. The only time I ever had an issue was I did get – they probably weren't fruit flies, but some kind of little gnat that looks like a fruit fly mm. inside my nature's head in the house – and I think they came in on some coconut core I've got because I've never had it happen before or since. And I'd soaked that and was using that as my, you know, cover material at the time. And all of a sudden I had this explosion of little gnats in the house. Um, you can get rid of them by putting a layer of diatomaceous earth, DE, on the surface. That'll pretty much get rid of them. Or what I did was I just dumped it. I didn't use that coconut core anymore in the house, you know, washed out the bucket. And and I haven't had an issue since. We had so, those
0: jerks in our house one year, and they were living in the disposal. And I mean, I dumped <laughs> boiling water in, and they kept coming and coming. And what we ended up doing, we put some vinegar water in a jaw jo- in a glass, and they put a drop of uh, dish detergent on the surface, and they murdered themselves. We yeah. just set it right next to the sink and left it there, and they just and eventually got wiped out. That. They stopped reproducing, but they, I mean, I don't know how they survived. I, I boiled a seven gallon root <laughs> kettle of they're hot tough. water and set it on a stand and I opened it and I let seven gallons of hot, screaming, scalding water go through there. And they seemed like they were gone. And I come in the next morning and they were coming back up out of there. And I, yeah. I think they're the same thing. I don't know what they are. They look like a fruit fly, but they're not. And they're obnoxious little jerks, but um, that, that works when they wouldn't go away and it's probably like you said, if you remove the thing, then they go with it. But
1: yeah, like I said, I just hosed out, which I don't even normally like thoroughly clean that when I dump it, I just dump it. And you're going to put it nice back in there, it. there.
0: Right. So like, you're not going to sit there and scrub it down. Like
1: it's going to yeah, be used. exactly. There's it's just a little something. microbes to restart your process, but that time to get rid of the flies. Cause I didn't want any little eggs or larva left. I actually hosed the whole inside out, let it sit outside in the sun for a few hours Put fresh material back in, and I didn't have any more flies. We're gonna nap- take a few questions
0: if you're okay here toward the end. Um,
1: yeah, we got
0: yeah. one one that I don't have on the screen right now. I, I don't really have a great answer for this one. Maybe you do. It's not really on topic, but it's dealing with flies from the neighbors. In this case, their horses. Um, I mean, we had them coming in pretty bad. We had a neighbor that was buying sick cows and mm. rehabbing them. And then putting them with his herd down the street. He had a hundred acres, but he was putting them in his like one and a half acre backyard while they were sick to see if he could. So he's getting them for next to nothing. And occasionally one would drop over and, uh, you know, maybe it'd be a day before he got home and we were having a lot of flies come over from that and they were going into my duck house and I found a organic insecticide that was basically lemon oil and water under pressure. And I would go in there and spray the hell out of them, and they'd all fall down, and their ducks ate them, and they were basically eating lemon-flavored flies. I mean, I don't know if you have any <laughs> – I, I really don't know. Like, that's an off-site problem, so you have limited control, right?
1: Yeah, the only other thing I'm aware of that I haven't used personally, but I work for somebody who has a bunch of horses, and so I haven't used this myself, but she gets some kind of little larva that, like, shows up in a little bag with whatever that is something that eats fly larva. And so okay. in her – Horse manure pile, which you may not be able to do this if it's your neighbor's manure pile that you don't have access to, but she like sprinkles that stuff in there and it seems to really help her with cutting down on the flies that come out of that because those things eat the flies before mm. they get hatched and are. Buzzing if it's out. close
0: enough to the property line. You might want to pay for it and do it yourself. I had a neighbor on next yeah, if you door. Pitch it was, over. <laughs> yeah, I had a neighbor on next door that was whining because there was a pool in the house next door that had been abandoned and that was making mosquitoes. And I'm like, you know, you can buy these little dunks down at Tractor Supply and throw them in there and they'll all die. And they like, <laughs> and they got mad at me. Like I did it, like, you know, I shouldn't have to. I'm like, do what you want, but like you can buy a box of these things for like twenty bucks, it'll go through the whole summer. Yeah. Or, or you can have mosquitoes. And then they got really mad and then I stopped talking. But yeah, like sometimes you do take things in your own hands if you're not gonna hurt anybody. Um, we have another question. K-Bonk says, What was your biggest fail? doing compost toilets, so Maybe I'm hearing anything sound like a fail, but were there any things so that like maybe you would do differently the, the next time around or, you know, than you did at first?
1: I mean the main thing I would probably have done differently if it was starting over is not spend a thousand dollars on a nature's head and just save the the cash and do a bucket toilet from the start, but that's not really a fail because like I said, I still like having both options and for the difference, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Um I I can't say that I've really had any I mean, the most frustrating thing was probably that time I got Nats because, like you said, when you have those things just buzzing in your house, I and mean, you' drive you just bonkers. Um, but that can happen for other reasons as well. So, yeah, I don't know that I've had any big fail where I'd say, oh, my goodness, folks, don't ever do this thing.
0: Don says, do you do anything different during occasional events like monthly cycles or like somebody gets really sick and has a bad diarrhea?
1: Um, No. If you have more liquid for any of those reasons, and I've even had people ask me, well, you know, when I get, you know, the flu and I'm puking, I normally puke in my toilet. Can I do that? Yeah. If it comes out of your body, it can go in there, it will break down. With the, I told my husband that and he's like, well, tell people their plastic tampons aren't going to break down. I was like, okay, if it's something made by your body and comes out of you, then yeah. it will break down. And yes, if there's more liquid, you just add more cover material, whether it's because it's diarrhea or because you decided to puke in there or whatever, just add a little more cover material, you will be fine. Um, and yes, for obvious reasons, if you have plastic feminine products, those are not likely to break down. Those should go in a separate container. And on that note, people ask, well, will toilet paper break down? I don't know if any of you ever had a worm farm where you'd like feed them paper and cardboard and newspaper. They love it. I mean, I can't find a trace of toilet paper in there other than, you know, whatever I just put in there five minutes ago. It is all digested.
0: Matthew says, uh, opinions on liquid going straight into wicking beds Personally, I'm not sure exactly how you would do that. I wouldn't necessarily advise for it or against it, but I think I would be more toward the dilution method and going ahead and directly watering with that rather than going down into the basin because you're going to get a more efficient use by the plants, and then any excess is going to end up down in your basin. That's that's more. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I haven't done that. If you wanted to figure out a way to plummet so you had water and urine coming in and was already diluting it, that that might be possible to automate that. Um, but that seems to me like it would be a lot more complicated to design and build, because if you're not if you just put and there are a few things like around the base of a tree, you're not going to burn it. But urine is high in nitrogen. If you just pour pour straight urine, like think about all the dog pee spots in your yard where something mm-hmm. pees straight on it, it's dead in the middle. And then there's this grass that's 10 times tall and everything around it. What you're trying to get is that 10 times taller stuff and not the dead spot. You know, so that's what diluting it does. You, you know, because if you just pour straight pee on most vegetable plants, you will burn the leaves off um, for that same reason. So that's why you dilute it. And some things can take it a little stronger. I found 10 to 1 approximately. And again, I don't precisely measure that. Everything can handle that. I've never burned a plant doing that,
0: yeah, I've heard ten to one. I've heard fifteen to one. I think if you're anywhere in that range, you're gonna be good, and that's what i would do i i I don't know how much you've done with wigging beds. I've done a ton with wicking beds, and i I
1: haven't if water things I, freeze I up here, it.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We just drain them in the, in the winter, you know cause you don't need to water much in the winter, so
1: yeah, yeah we okay, okay. well, I think that's like, through the summer
0: um. Susan said, sorry, came in late Do you use a urine separator. We're going to just say we answered that, Susan. And you, yes and no, it depends. And you yeah. can go back and listen to the rest of it since we covered that fairly well. Um, Ariel, I thank you again for being with us today. You want to tell people how they can learn more about you and what you do. and uh, And don't leave out your photography, man, because you're an awesome photographer.
1: Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I have. Well, this answer is actually a bit complicated right now. I have a blog um, where I post when I have time and have for many years. Fineth.blogspot.com. Um, I have had well, I still have a YouTube channel, um, also an Odyssey channel. You can find me on MeWe. You can find me on Float. Um, Fineth, which is the tiny house's name, F-Y-N-Y-T-H. It's Welsh for my nest. Search for that term. You can you can find me anywhere. Um, There are no current videos within almost the last month of my YouTube channel because Google has got me locked out. And that is due as near as I can tell. They turned on two factor authentication without my knowledge or consent. And the phone number they have is one I have no recollection of giving them, but it's an old phone that is no longer in service. I have yet to find a resolution to this, so I cannot access anything in my Google accounts, including posting new videos. So there are new videos on Odyssey. I'm continuing to work to resolve that, but I have devoted literally a couple hundred hours to trying to figure this out at this point. And unless someone inside Google decides to help me, I don't know that that will ever be resolved. Um, so there is a channel and it's got 640 something videos on it at this point, 70,000 subscribers. You can find tons of info about what I've done over the years there if you use YouTube. But at least until if or when that gets resolved, if you want to see current stuff, you're going to have to go to like MeWe and Odyssey where I'm currently able to share things.
0: Great. And I appreciate it. We got one more question here. I think this one's for me. It says, can we see recast videos with chat? Uh, yes, you can. Um, sometimes it takes a while for the chat re- refresh to show up. Little tip for YouTube creators out there. If you don't specifically mark your live streams as not for children, um, then your chat will work when you're doing your your broadcast, but the, it won't work in the replay. So just, just so people know that. So if you want to go back and look, yes, But sometimes what happens when you do a live video like we're doing on YouTube right now on the YouTube side anyway, the video is basically streaming live, and then it's still streaming live when you watch the replay as it renders to the final product. And until that final product works, sometimes the chat replay doesn't show up. So one thing that might work, Ariel, and I don't know if it will because I know they did that change with the two-factor, sometimes it will allow you to identify yourself. If you put the YouTube app on your phone through the YouTube app,
1: I don't Just to, have, I've never used a smartphone. Yeah, so oh. that, um, is probably <laughs> a friend of,
0: with it. Maybe
1: that's probably yeah, partly why I, you're mad at me. But, um, yeah, so you can find lots of, could you log in on the app. If
0: you can't log in like that's, yeah, damn it. I don't know. So yeah, YouTube. that's a you good frustration. In, Customer service, man, wouldn't it be great, you know, if you actually could get an answer to something from a yeah, that would be multi-billion nice. dollar corporation that we contribute to by making content for them.
1: But uh, I to make... Photo, uh, you know, videos, post photos. They can all be found on Odyssey. They can be found on MeWe. And yeah, if you're interested, this is totally different than, you know, living off grid or composting toilets. But I also happen to love wildlife. And I live here in the Wyoming mountains where there is lots of cool wildlife, you know, mountain lions and grizzly bears and wolves and elk and moose and stuff. And so uh if you go to, to MeWe or any of those places, you'll find a link to also just my photography website if you like wildlife photography as well.
0: I've got that in the notes. I've got all of that in the show notes so people can link to that as well. So they can just get over to episode 3009 at thesurvivalpodcast.com for all those resources. And if you're on YouTube watching it or any of the other video channels, there's a link to all the resources in the video description. Ariel, thank you for cool. being with us. Thank you. Great discussion.
1: Go ahead one one quick thing. It's a resource that's not mine that I didn't mention yet. Um Mr. Joseph Jenkins wrote a really awesome book called The Human ore Handbook. So if this topic fascinates you and you want to learn more about it. Um, I didn't actually read that book till I'd already been using a composting toilet setup full time for quite a few years. But he's an excellent writer. He's very funny. He's got a good sense of humor. So if if reading a book where you learn more about composting, reusing your waste and get a good laugh out of it sounds good to you. That's that's also worth looking up the human or handbook. It's an excellent resource.
0: Okay, great. I appreciate that. And uh, again, thank you for being with us today. This was a great discussion. And, uh, again, thank you for for working with us and being able to kind of flip-flop with another guest because that helped us out a lot today. I was well, all ahead today. Welcome. I've been ahead since we got back. Every day I'm ahead, and then every day I'm not anymore. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you with that.
1: You have a great day. Thanks, Jack. Thank you.
0: Hey, and a great interview, and you guys really should follow Ariel. You can find her on Float and MeWe. She's very active. She's active on other platforms, too, but she's very active on both of those. Uh, I see her posting cool stuff all the time. If you're one of these people who are like, you know, my problem with social media is it's all political crap, follow people like Ariel. Uh, you can also follow her YouTube channel, and she's an excellent photographer. She has, uh, I don't know, she has some pictures In her photography portfolio that are like lifetime accomplishment photographs. Like a cougar mother with its cubs. And she is a fantastic photographer. I've got links to all her stuff in the notes today. Definitely check her out and follow her if you haven't. And I'll try to remember, I haven't done it yet, I'll try to remember to get the link to our previous interview into the notes as well for you. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me remind you again, on Saturday... Anarcapulco watch party tickets to come here to my house and hang out with me and eat some of the best food you've ever eaten and meet some of the best people you've ever met and have a freaking blast and learn a ton, go on sale at 10 a.m. Saturday, this Saturday. You need to have the Telegram channel or group installed and be paying attention. I'm going to drop that link in. If it goes like it usually does, it is not going to take long before it's want was sold out. I would love you to come. This is going to be a blast. Yes, it's wintertime. We've got an 1,800-square-foot insulated shop with propane heat. It might be cold outside, but it'll be warm inside. And it might be beautiful out. You never know. We're rolling the dice with that part of it. But we are going to have a blast, and we are going to take care of you. And you will not believe... The feasts we're going to put on, the party we're going to have, the knowledge we're going to share, and the networking we're going to do. It's going to be great. It'll be even better if you're there with us. So mark your calendars. Don't forget. Don't sleep in. Uh, it is 10, 10, o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So for some of y'all, that's like eight, you know, so on the, on the West Coast or what have you. Anyway, with that, um, I did want to answer a question that I got about that. If you're going to fly in where to fly into, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport would be the best airport. It's about 30 minutes from my property, accepting uh, traffic, right? But that's like if there's nobody in the way and you just drive there, it's about a 30-minute drive. All right, with that, let's uh, also remind you guys, if you want to support the show, there's a couple of ways once become a member of the MSB. We talked about that in depth yesterday, so we won't today. The other way is just to do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T S P A Z Tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll see all the items I recommend, but no matter what you buy, if you start your online shopping there, you will help us out no matter what you buy. Today I have an item of the day, a new one. I haven't covered this before, though I've mentioned it in passing. It's a book by Robert F. Kennedy Jr who's a guy that I agree with on a lot and disagree with on a lot. But on this this stuff, I agree 100%. The book is called The Real Anthony Fauci. And I'm going to tell you that you need to read this book. If, you, if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I've occasionally featured books on Item of the Day. And I often say, like, it'd be great if you read this book. It's probably a good idea to read this book. Maybe you should read this book. It's a great book. If you like this, you'll like that, that type of thing. I don't know that I've ever said you need to read this book about any book ever, and I'm saying it about this one. When you read this book, and it goes deep into what's been done to the population through the powers of government, uh, Anthony Fauci's power, uh, Bill Gates, the whole thing with COVID-19, and it does it meticulously. One thing I think a lot of people don't know about RFK Jr. is he was a trial lawyer and a damn good one. He's good at crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. And that's been done in spades in this book. It's not just about COVID and the vaccines and the suppression of therapeutics, et cetera, though. This book lays out a pattern that has been repeated by your government and it's, it's collaboration with industry over and over and over again. As important as the stuff on COVID nineteen is in this book, it's not why I say you have to read it. A lot of what you'll hear about it, you heard about from me over the years. It's actually, you know, somewhat. Uh, it, it, it feels somewhat vindicating to hear all the things that I've said repeated and then documented back to the source meticulously. But the reason you need to read the book. It's because it will give you an education in how this is done, and then you will have the pattern, and then when you have the pattern, you can recognize the pattern, and you will be vaccinated against bullshit for the rest of your life. This book is a must-read, and I know I've never said that about a book on the show before. So I really recommend that you get a copy of it. It's called The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates' Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., you can find it at tspaz.com or just go to the survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. You'll find it uh, right under today's episode. With that, let's wrap up. I appreciate everybody for being with us today. Uh, if you missed the live stream, do consider getting on one in the future. We have different times of day that the live streams go out. Sometimes they go out really early in the morning, like on a Friday usually. If I do them on Monday, they're more like 10, 10.30, guest day like today. We're generally in the 12 to 1 o'clock range. Today we were at 1. We had to push a little bit. Usually we are at noon. Uh, but come on out and hang out with us on a live stream. I think you really enjoy it. And with that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of The Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up They keep bringing you down Are they gonna bail you out Or just run you around